0: Love thy neighborhood. Okay.
1: Oh, cool. oh definitely. <laughs> oh, cool. Discipleship and missions. Missions!
0: For modern times.
2: Hey, it's Lindsay. We're super excited to announce a new series of the Enya Cast called How Do I Relate to God? We talk a lot about how we relate to one another and how our Enneagram type influences those relationships, but now we want to look at how does our personality and these core beliefs and struggles that we have impact our relationship with God. So we're really excited. We hope you'll join us. In the meantime, check out this episode of Your Enneagram Coach, where Jesse was recently on a panel hosted by Beth and Jeff McCord on how type fours bring beauty in a broken world. It's a great conversation and you don't want to miss it. So I'll see you in two weeks for a new episode of the Enneacast. But for now, here's episode 128 of Your Enneagram Coach, the podcast.
1: Well, welcome to Your Enneagram Coach, the podcast. We are excited to have our podcast now on YouTube. So we hope that you'll go over there, check it out like this video and hit subscribe so that you don't miss any of our episodes. Well, today we're going to continue our conversation on type fours, the introspective individualist by interviewing a panel of amazing type fours. In this episode, you'll see how type fours share the same core motivations and EIP parts, which you can't put all type fours in the same box. So we're going to listen to their unique stories and circumstances to show you how type fours show up in different ways.
0: Uh, before we get to our guests, um, maybe you're hearing this term EIP for the first time. Totally understandable. Stands for Enneagram Internal Profile. Uh, you can go to episode 112 to learn more about EIP in an exhaustive way. There we fully explain what this new approach is to the Enneagram uh, that we call EIP for short. And if you want to know more about type 4s, you can also listen to the episode 127 where we go into a deep dive into the EIP for the Type 4s. Uh, Before we begin, Beth, why don't you give us a brief description of what is EIP?
1: Well, in the Bible, as we know, God focuses on our heart condition, and the Enneagram brings us awareness and clarity on whether our heart is aligned or misaligned with the truth of the gospel in any given moment. And we use EIP or Enneagram Internal Profile to help us to understand the various parts of our heart. Now, your main type has two parts— the misaligned wounded child, and the gospel-led beloved child. Your main type has four connecting types that comprise of four more parts of your heart, which are the two wings, the two numbers directly next to your main type, and the two Enneagram paths. These are the two lines that are connected to your type with two types connected there. Now, each of these parts of you show up either in aligned or misaligned ways, depending on whether the wounded child or the beloved child is active in leading your parts. So by using EIP, you can become aware of your current heart condition. And when your uh, wounded child is trying to lead, you're going to notice some unhealthy tendencies popping up, which can negatively affect you and your relationships. We can use this awareness to help us to surrender and depend and ask the Holy Spirit to come and help our beloved child to wake up, show up, and lead our heart. And when your beloved child is leading all of the parts of your heart back to the truth of the gospel, what you're going to see is this overflow in your heart with really healthy responses like the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We are so excited for you guys to take a part of what this is.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that, sweetie. And uh, today we have a couple of great guests who are going to help to fill in some of the details of what this really looks like for uh, type fours, the fours that we love in our lives, the friends, and even for ourselves who are fours. So first up is Mandy Ravicchio. She's a dear friend and Mm -hmm. also a fellow entrepreneur. So Mandy, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Thanks, Jeff. It's so great to be here. Well, as you mentioned, I am the director of content for Chris Carr, and we help women become empowered participants in their own well-being. And I've been supporting leaders like Chris, like you guys, for 17 years now, helping them create products and presentations that shine. And it's just so great to be here and be able to talk about the Enneagram with you guys today.
0: You know, it's interesting. Mandy was around. Uh, We served her and her sister some pizza and some wine to talk about our original certification course (laughs) back in 2017. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so they have been significant people along this story of your Enneagram coach. And
1: her sister is
3: our COO.
0: That's right. But yep. we know who's the best.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we also know from pizza and wine that Beth and Jeff know how to host Italians. This is proven.
1: <laughs> there we go. There we
0: go. That is, that is so funny. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, next up is Jesse Eubanks with Love Thy Neighborhood. Uh, he is the co-host of Enneacast and he's also got a uh, book coming out here soon. Uh, we've been partnering with Jesse for a, a, a season here. And so uh, Jesse, Welcome to the show, and tell us a little bit more about yourself.
4: Uh, yeah, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so I am in Louisville, Kentucky, and I lead an organization called Love That Neighborhood. We say we're like the Peace Corps with Bibles, and uh, and then I host a couple of different podcasts. One about the Enneagram, and then uh, the other one is just called Love That Neighborhood. I say if you baptized NPR, you would get our show,
2: uh-huh. and
4: um, yeah, and then I'm I'm uh, soon about to give birth to my first book so yes uh, which is called how we relate and so um yeah which is a book about the enneagram so Mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad to be with you guys
1: yes
0: well we're thrilled to have both of you here because I, i know that you have uh taken your fourness uh very seriously it's been a part of how you've understood yourself and understood how you relate to the world and so i know there's a lot of work and a lot of gems that you're going to be able to share today so super grateful for you both to have shown up As we mentioned earlier, in episode 127, we did a deeper dive into the type fours Enneagram internal profile. But Beth, why don't you give us a brief reminder about type fours, and then we'll start uh, diving in with our guests and expound on some of these descriptions.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, so type fours live primarily in their imagination and feelings. So deep down, they have a hidden idealized self, a version of the person that they passionately desire to become. This idealized self is incredibly creative, socially adept, and universally desired. They measure themselves against this idealized self and constantly feel that they come up short. Now, feeling that they have um, that they are somewhat defective and flawed, they believe that no one can truly love them as they are in that state. So they become they just try to strive and become this idealized self so that others can see it and love them. Their focus of attention is to see what is missing so that they continue that longing for more. It is here where they already experienced what is real and beautiful and authentic and deep, and they long to experience it again because it is so deeply satisfying. Now, Type 4s have so many strengths. They find rich meaning in life and experience, uh, the deep emotions, um, in their internal world. They have great intuition and creativity and they enjoy being their unique and authentic self. And they can easily sense the feelings of others, um, around them, like what they're feeling and being very intuitive and they bring great beauty and depth and creativity to all that they do. Now, remember, Each type has four core motivations, which is the driving force behind why they think, feel, and behave in particular ways. So type fours, we're going to discuss their core motivations and their EIP parts. But first, let's take a look at their core motivations. So their core fear is being inadequate, emotionally cut off, plain, mundane, defective, flawed, or insignificant. But they desire to be unique, special, and their most authentic self. Yeah, they struggle with a core weakness, which is envy. And this is where they're feeling tragically flawed or that there's something missing inside them that others possess these qualities that they feel that they're lacking. But their core longing is to hear and experience you are loved for exactly who you are, special and unique.
0: So Mandy and Jesse, tell us a little bit about what the, and either of you can go first, what was the experience like for you when you first discovered that you were a four?
3: Sure. So for me, it was an interesting experience. I think the Enneagram has a way of laying us bare a little bit. And exposing parts of ourselves that we've never had to confront before. And so admittedly, when I first learned that I was an Enneagram 4, I was taking a routine test, you know, one of the online assessments that was available years ago, and it basically gave a brief description of each type, and you were supposed to self-assess and evaluate which one that you were the most like. And honestly, I knew that there was something going on when I hit the four because it was the number I liked the least of all the Aww. ones that I had read so far. I had this immediate sense of, oh my gosh, I don't know if I like the the emotional stance of this person, but it was because my mail was being read a little bit. And mm-hmm. certain aspects of my motivations that I had kept hidden before, that I had never vocalized before... Um, were being laid out in print for the first time in front of me. And so at first it was a little bit jarring. And I will say over the years since then, the Enneagram has been a gift in the way that it has helped me to deal with that wounded side, that shadow side of myself. But at the same time, it's helped me to acknowledge all of those strengths and all of those giftings that I bring to the table that are uh, uniquely valuable, and so it's given me language for both. But at first, seeing that very clear language for the darker parts of myself and the more wounded parts of myself was a little scary, and I wanted to run from it at first. I will
0: admit. Sure, sure, Jesse. What about you?
4: Yeah, I, uh, you know, it, it was it was really striking because I th- I think in particular it gave me language for the sense of otherness that I had lived with for so much of my life. And mm-hmm. um, uh, especially like, just, just a sense of sort of like, there's always sort of a group of people standing over here and I'm always just a little bit, either a little bit or a lot on the outside of that. And, mm-hmm. and, and so to finally kind of have some language to explain that, um, that a lot of that is about what was going on inside of me. A lot of that was really about perception. A lot of that, and, and, and uh, you know, as Mandy said, it's just sort of, I just felt sort of red. It was like, it was kind of freaky. Like I remember going home and going, you will not believe the thing that crawled around in my psyche today. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I think like feeling understood uh, was was a pretty amazing experience and simultaneously terrifying because sure. for the four, like mysteries are a thing. Like if it's all out on the table, like we lose a little bit of something. And so, like, uh, so on the one hand, I found it very satisfying. On the other hand, I found it really disruptive, you know? Um, yeah, and then, and I think the other thing too, that was really striking and interesting for me is like, we get to this envy piece Mm-hmm. And I was so close and intimate with the experience of envy that I did not even understand it was envy. Uh, mm. It felt so familiar that as language started to be put around it, I was like, "Oh, that's what you call that? That discontent that yeah. I that I live with that that sense in which I can't seem to bring my dream into reality, and the anger that comes up related like that's envy." Like so, uh, mm. so the, the enneagram gave me this this language and map to be able to explore and talk about things at a deeper level um, than I previously had. had.
1: So good. Well, I,
0: I I do resonate with some of this because there there is a very strong four part to my heart, and uh, when you mentioned otherness, uh, I I grew I was adopted and so I'm mixed race, but grew up with white parents. And when I came to standardized tests, I'd always have to check other because I didn't know what, it was, what I was, uh, and nor did I fit any of the categories. Um, but there, there is this sense of being on the outside and trying to figure out what, what does it look like to, to be in, to be accepted. And so I deeply appreciate it. Well, th- thank you so much for sharing that. Um, let's dive into the Type 4's uh, Enneagram Internal Profile. Each of the main types, so for the Type 4, there's two parts to the main type, and one of them is the misaligned uh, wounded child and the aligned beloved child. So let's start with the wounded child. The wounded child is the part of our main type that's been hurt by the sinfulness and fallenness of just living in this world. It's the vulnerable and tender parts of our hearts that have experienced harm. It's reactive, from a place of history and painful experiences. And so sometimes we can experience this as a very younger part of ourselves. It has a primal need to protect itself from harm. And it recruits all the other aspects of our Enneagram type in order to uh, execute that protection so that we don't experience harm. Beth, why don't you talk a little bit about how, what the wounded child for the type 4 looks like and believes.
1: Yeah, as a child, type 4s long to hear that you are loved and seen for exactly who you are, special and unique, So they have these longings, these feelings, these passions that run really deep within them, and they use their emotions as the primary source to build their unique identity, but felt very disconnected and misunderstood by both their parents, to some degree, and by others. And this led um, them to assume that there was something fundamentally missing and tragically flawed within them. And they tend to believe that they need to be different, to be unique, to stand out, for others to see them. And to then love them. So discovering their authentic and unique self became their primary focus. Now the wounded child part of their heart falsely believes that it's not okay to be too much and not enough. And it longs for others to see their unique abilities, their um, abilities to go deep, and then to finally be seen as whole and accepted. And as an adult, they still long to hear and experience your love for exactly who you are, special and unique.
0: Well, to bring healing to our wounding child, one, we need to see, understand its story, uh, and we need to understand its pain and give it our full attention. But unfortunately, the wounded child is ill-equipped to help to lead us to be able to address some of the fears and concerns that it that it has. So um, why don't we start, uh, Jesse or Mandy, whichever one would like to go first. Uh, when you think about this wounded part of yourself, I think, Mandy, earlier you mentioned this shadow side of yourself. When you think about this part of who you are, uh, what comes to mind for you?
3: I think that's a great question. I think when I think about the shadow side of myself and of the Enneagram 4s that I've known... There is, in a way, I kind of picture it like an internal cavern, right? There are these cavernous Mm -hmm. spaces inside, and this immense depth to all of the fours that I've known. There is this huge depth to their emotional experience of the world. There's this huge depth to the meaning that they're able to make of things. And what I will say is that um, I think the wounded child has shown up for me the most when I kind of get lost in that space. When I'm Mm -hmm. down inside the Mm -hmm. caverns and I'm existing more at that internal level, and I'm not interacting or being as present with the world around me. And so as a little girl, that looked like books. I am a wordsmith still. It's the work that I do for my life. I still love to read. But as a kid, when life got difficult and when I couldn't find ways to connect, when it felt like my emotional experience of the world around me was different than other people's experience my default was to connect through characters instead. And so I used to get in trouble as a kid for walking around the house with a book and I wouldn't put the book down and I would bump into walls and I would have bruises everywhere. And finally my mother would say, girl, they're going to take you away from me. You've got to put the book down. They're going to think that I'm hurting you. Because I would run into walls so often because I was just so immersed in that story. And so I think Mm. that sense of otherness that Jesse referenced earlier is really present in all of the fours that I've known as part of their childhood story. And for me, the way I mitigated that was to find myself in characters. And I found myself in fiction. And I found the people that I loved in fiction and explanations for their behavior in fiction. And so Mm. when I got lost in the cavern, I knew that I was in that wounded space a little bit more.
0: Mm. What's the because it's interesting you say it that way. I, I've only been. I think it's spelunking. Is that the word <laughs> uh, when you're going in? I, I've done that. Matter of fact, I, we were in Kansas City and it was in. Uh, we were in Chattanooga actually. Um, but my my understanding of forests is that they they like to go into the caverns. That they like to understand the experience. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like too. There's a bit of fear. Like I. Maybe confusion, maybe the unknown. Uh, Jesse referenced the mystery. When you think about approaching the cavern, it sounds like I want to investigate it, but I also want to retract from it and find myself in fantasy of other characters' lives. What is it? What's the fear?
3: Interesting. Um, I don't know if it's as much a fear of being in the cavern as much as that the cavern is my natural comfort zone right? When I'm down in the depths and I'm exploring, that's the that's the easiest space for me to go. I'm very comfortable in that internal world. But where I've noticed that there's some unhealth is the healthy way to dwell in that internal world, at least for me, is to go into it, to dive really deep into it, to find treasures, and then to bring those treasures up to the surface and Exchange them with other human beings, <laughs> in
0: the wow. okay.
3: experiences. So it's like oh,
0: that's yeah, super I'm helpful. Yeah.
3: I'm bringing treasures with me. We're having a conversation, but when instead yes. everything's internal, I'm in a space that's unhealthy because I'm finding all of my meaning in that internal world, in my mm-hmm. unique experience sure. of life, instead of in my connections with other people, like I should. Does that make sense? That's yeah, that that makes perfect sense.
1: Mandy, that was super helpful. Very clear uh, paints a beautiful picture of both the, the positive and beneficial side of going deep into those caverns and how you can bring those treasures up, which we will talk about the beloved child here in just a second. um, But also how, if, if you don't bring them back up to the surface to share with others, that that can keep you down there and away from others and, and feel like you're not belonging. So that really paints such a beautiful picture. Thank you. Jesse, what about you?
4: Yeah, Mandy, I really appreciate that, that, like that sense of um, um, going into the cavern. Like, I I think about it this way, like, um, for all of us, our strength is our weakness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me as a child, um, I had a very tumultuous family life where my parents were divorced. I went, back and forth between their two houses, the most steady relationship that I had was my relationship with my imagination. And so uh, having this very reliable sort of place to go to, to think, to ruminate, to feel, to explore, to dream, to wish, um, that, uh, that of course, later on in life, came, on, came to be this great strength of mine, mm-hmm. but it also has this really dark side to it, which is... Um, the wounded self is c- cannot be consoled. It, mm. it, it it refuses to to find contentment. It refuses to be pleased. Uh, um, you, I long for a a vacation, and you give me the vacation, and I go to the vacation, and I'm miserable. Like because it's there's this part inside of us, inside of me that um, um, that just it, I want what I can't have, and I don't mm. want what I do you know, that's, that's that wounded child, you know, showing up. And so, um, so I think, um, you know, one of the particular ways that I notice the wounded child showing up is oscillating between two things. Um, I'm going to hold on to all of my pain. I'm really going to hold on to it, keep to myself, refuse to grieve and let it heal and move on. Or I'm going to feel this compulsion to make my pain very well known to everybody around me Mm. uh, and to make it public and to overreact and to say things bigger than they are and to bring too much intensity into a scenario that does not require that much intensity. And then, of course, then I feel the shame and I want to retreat back into the cave all over again. Mm. And so it's, it's it's this ping pong sort of effect of, okay, I'm too much. Okay, I'm going to retreat. Oh wait, well now I'm going to be forgotten. I better go yeah. back out. Oh wait, now I'm too mm-hmm. much again. And so, uh, so we can find ourselves in this. You know, I find myself in this space where um, uh, emotional equanimity can can be elusive at times. Yes. Yeah.
1: And just just for, for real quick reference, uh, what is your um, instinctual subtype?
4: Yeah, so uh it it you know, I've always said, you know, Beth, you're asking me this question right now. I'm exploring this right now. <laughs> I've always said counterphobic, I've I strongly identify
1: okay, yeah. um
4: with the self president stuff, but man, I've got a lot of intensity in me, so that one to one shows uh-huh. up a lot as well. Mm, yeah.
1: yeah. And you know, there's the stacking. So it'd be interesting to kind of figure out, okay, well, what's usually dominant and then second and then, you know, third and and, you know, how they each pop up at different uh, times. But, yeah, I was just kind of curious um, about that because I know, Mandy, that was one of the reasons why it was kind of hard for you to kind of land on four was because so many of the books out there describe really more of the social four. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, that's just not me. And so I know that the the self-preservation four, which is the counter type, which means it doesn't look like what you typically read about is more of the four that still has all of those deep emotions, but they're, they're not really putting it out for the whole world to see on display. They're keeping it more internal. And so as you were talking about that, Jesse um, that's why I was just wondering, cause you were kind of, you know, alluding to that. Sometimes I bring too much, you know, to the situation yeah. or, but that makes sense. Cause the one-to-one also has a lot of reactivity that others can see. And so I can see, kind of like what you were saying, ping-ponging back and forth maybe in that. So that just yeah. kind of really helps paint that picture.
4: Yeah. I reserve the crazy for my closest relationships. <laughs> you know, I think that like, I think that like most people would describe me as very steady and mm-hmm. very even. I, I tend to be, you know, the, the self-pressed for the, the pack mule of pain. And so, mm. and I tend to be a, a quite a bit like that. But then of course, I've, it reaches a point where it's like okay this has to come out um sure yeah my my counselor uh my counselor a couple of weeks ago uh after a session said to me um you're one of the most emotionally aware clients that i work with especially for men and yeah. uh, and he said and that is a gift and it's also a curse and yes. i felt that
2: hey this is kirsten the recruitment assistant at love thy neighborhood We connect young adults directly with local nonprofits, where they provide volunteer hours free of charge to ministries while also gaining real-world work experience. One area of service is our book editing and publishing track. Here, interns learn the book publishing process from start to finish as they work alongside Christian authors. One of these authors is Dr. Timothy Paul Jones. Dr. Jones said sometimes the book publishing process can feel pretty mundane, but that even in the small tasks, interns can learn valuable lessons.
4: Our world, it values that
0: which is quick and flashy, and they realize that things that really matter require just a lot of long, mundane labor. As mundane as that is, it's a really important thing uh, to recognize that it's in the ordinary rhythms of just keeping at it, doing the work that needs to be done, that things that are beautiful are produced in the end.
2: If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned something earlier that I think it's important to note about uh, this wounded part of ourselves receiving care. And, you know, it, it can sound uh, very superficial. It can sound very easy to apply the truth of the gospel to this wounded parts of our hearts. Um, And that's not always the case. Uh, We're gonna get into Beloved Child here in just a moment and uh, what it looks like for the Type 4 to access this part of who they are. I I can remember early on as I was able to, sort of through uh, EMDR to trace back to my original memory uh, of abandonment. And even as I, one, had the dream in the night and then processed it with a therapist and did some EMDR around it. I could not, it's almost as if I could not get little Jeffrey's attention. Mm. Like he did not trust adult Jeff Mm. and he was so fixated on what he needed, desperately needed and feared in that moment. It was me waiting for my parents to come back to the house and I was looking out the windows. I I just could not get his attention. Now, there were other creative ways to get Jeffrey's attention, and um, and so I I invited a very compassionate, kind person in my life into this moment to see if she could get uh, Jeffrey's attention, and she could. But to understand, like, this part of us, it, there's a certain level of distrust that we have towards ourselves because we've not given attention, and yeah. all that we've done is try to cope and protect it from its fears if all of those fears have been real. And some of them have been.
1: Well, and also we've shamed this part. We've condemned this part. We've gotten angry with this part, thinking that it's just bringing all this harm to ourselves when really it had really good intent.
0: That's right. Yes. Well, why don't we uh, take the next step to the beloved child, um, which is this part of our heart that's aligned with the truth of the gospel. Now understand uh, in, Throughout the scriptures, there's always this tension between old man, new man, spiritless self, fleshly self, the old creation, the new creation. So the Bible has many words to describe this part of who we are. And what we're addressing now is this part of us that's been filled by the Spirit and that reminds us of all that God is for us in the personal work of Jesus Christ and now applied by the Spirit. So this is where the core longing of each of the types really meet relationship with Jesus and his presence in our life. So Beth, why don't you talk about what the beloved child looks like for the type four?
1: Yeah. So the beloved child knows who you are and whose you are. Again, like Jeff said, this is the spirit led self. It knows that it is free from shame, rejection and thinking that you are defective and flawed because you can now rest because your eyes are able to see the one who fully created you uniquely and the way he wanted you, which means you are loved for exactly who you are, special and unique in his eyes. And this is what we really want the type fours to fully embrace. Now, as a type four in the beloved child, there are things that we want to bring in, which is gospel uh, talk, so Jeff, uh, why don't you explain what maybe a gospel self-talk might look for the type four?
0: That's right. So this isn't something to be just arbitrary, but this is actually the truth of the, what Jesus has accomplished. And now the Spirit, it reinforces and encourages in our own hearts, uh, but specifically for the type four. Uh, for the type fours, beloved child might say, I, I'm not too much, nor am I less than others. I am a part of a bigger story, a beautiful tapestry that God is weaving together, and I belong in this story. So, Jesse, we talked about wounded child, but tell us, what does that look like for you as you think of this beloved spirit-filled part of yourself and how what that brings to the, all the different parts of the type Four.
4: Yeah, I think that, you know, if you think of when I think of my wounded child, I think of a child that is uh that that feels on their own and sort of and fatherless. Mm-hmm. When I think of the beloved child, there's a sense that I am living in the reality that I have a father who loves me, um, who knows me, who sees me, perceives me, gets me. Um gets me better than I get myself. Mm. And then if I attempt all of my tactics to not be gotten that mm-hmm. he still does. Um, mm. And, um, but in particular um, what really like undoes me um, is, is when I sense delight, when I sense God's mm. delight for me that he finds pleasure in who I am and enjoyment of who I am and, um, when I when I can receive that aspect of the gospel in particular, um, mm-hmm. yes, I need forgiveness. Yes, I need his presence. But when I really feel his delight and I'm in a place where I can really try to receive that and sit in that, um, there's sort of this, um, I don't know, this, it's, just, it's this calming effect that kind of comes over me in which I don't feel the compulsion to sort of roll around in my pain. I don't feel the need that I've got to act big and expressive. Um, there's a sense in which I can just kind of go, let's just take things moment by moment. I don't need to retreat into my fantasies. Mm. Um, that uh, that the, that God's love for me is enough and and yes. and I can receive that. Um, and
1: on that, can you can you piggyback that with um, like emotional equanimity? You know, that yeah. emotional balance. And can you kind of paint a picture of what that looks like in the in this beloved sense? Because I know that a lot of fours, that's so hard to hear. Like, okay, the, the virtue of the four is equanimity. So having emotional balance. And that can land on a four as getting rid of your emotions or not having emotions or making them less. Can you kind of explain what that looks like from a beloved child perspective of allowing your emotions to be there? But what does the equanimity, emotional balance look like?
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know, if we look at the gospels, we see in Jesus, we do not see somebody that is uh, emotionally flat. Mm -hmm. We see somebody who's very emotionally expressive. But what he shows us is how to live so that we express the right amount of emotion. We never overexpress, you know, he never overexpresses, he never underexpresses. And I think that that's that's the invitation that I, I sense from God. Like, when I when I'm living in the reality that he is a father that delights in me, that he loves the fact that I am his son, he mm-hmm. finds joy and pleasure in that reality. That when I can live in that space, I go, okay, I I he's given me this gift of emotions. I don't need to overexpress, and I also don't need to repress and bury them in the backyard, mm-hmm. um, but to To honor them. A a friend of mine says it this way. He says, every emotion needs to be honored. Not every emotion needs to be expressed. Mm. And I think that like, for me as a four, that's, that's a good word. It's like, Mm. I can feel this. I can let it come and I can let it pass. I don't have to give full attention and it does not have to define the total way that I see the world. Um, it can be one piece of a bigger picture. Um, and so, uh, So, so in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's allowing um, emotion to have the proper context of my life and not be the dominant driving force of my life.
0: Yeah. Well, Mandy, uh, tell us about you. What is, how do you experience this beloved part of yourself?
4: You know, some
3: of what Jesse just said about, I I think it has kind of two prongs to it. So the first is my relationship to my own emotions changes And so Jesse, similarly similarly to what you just said, I think it was Brene Brown who said, when it comes to emotions, we can say, this emotion is real, but it may not be true. Mm. And that's where that equanimity kind of shows up for me with my emotions is when I'm able to distance myself from my emotions and use them as input and assess them objectively instead of Mm -hmm. identifying with them and letting my identity be the cavernous thing that I'm feeling in the moment, I'm able to acknowledge it, not have to repress it and say, it's here, it's real, we're going to work through this. And also, what I'm feeling right now may not be the objective truth. It may not be the whole Mm -hmm. picture. And so when I'm able to create a tiny bit of distance between myself and those big emotions that I feel, I'm less emotionally expressive, as Beth mentioned, as a countertype. That was the one part of the four that didn't really resonate with me was this idea of expressing all of my emotions. I'm very private with my emotions, actually. So I tend to only share my emotions with my one or two safe people. And with everybody else, I am cheerful and placid, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot going on under the surface. And sometimes it's easy for me to feel even inauthentic when I'm presenting a peaceful uh, face to the world which is completely normal to do in a public setting, in a Starbucks or when you a business (laughs) meeting, it's great to present a peaceful and composed front. But when I'm self-identifying with big emotions inside, um, I'm I'm not at my best to be able to say this is real, but it might not be the whole truth. So Mm -hmm. emotional separation is a big part of um, what I have found to be true when I'm operating more in that beloved space and when the beloved part of me is driving the bus, I've got a little distance between myself and my own emotions and I can manage yes. them instead of having them manage me. And then mm-hmm. on the other hand, I think also when I'm operating in that beloved space, the question of sameness or otherness kind of evaporates. And that's the sweetest, I think, part of that whole experience for me when I'm with people that I love, when I'm with the Lord, is that experience that suddenly this question of, Am I the same? Do I fit? Do I belong here? You know, do my puzzle pieces interlock? Do I match? Do I fit the set? Can I complement the set? Or, wait, I don't want to be too similar that I lose myself and I have no unique identity. And so I'm constantly wrestling with questions of sameness or otherness and how that affects my ability to relate to other people, to be connected. And really at the bottom, it's completely irrelevant to the state of being loved is what I've realized. Mm. I've realized that I love the people that I love with my whole heart as they are as humans. And I love the ways that they're the same as me. And I love the ways that they are different than me. And I don't need them to be completely unique and different to love them. And I don't need them to be completely the same to love them. I just love them. And so in Mm -hmm. the beloved state, I recognize and I'm able to rest in the fact that I don't have to manage sameness or otherness or uniqueness. I don't have to bring uniqueness to the table, but my uniqueness is accepted because I'm loved by the people who loved me, and I'm loved by the Lord.
0: Mm. Wow. That's fantastic. Uh, really, really appreciate that. I, I think that that principle is true for all types. There, there is an either-or uh, category for our wounded child, and but our, the beloved self kind of gets us out of that polarity mm-hmm. in order to kind of transcend to be able to engage. Super. Love that. Well, let's bring in the connecting type. So there's two parts to our main type, wounded child, beloved child. Now the connecting type. So we're going to talk about the wings uh, for a moment and the two wings. Now, our wings, uh, we use both. Um, and, you know, sometimes we use more one more than the other. And if we give a little bit of attention, we'll find out, oh, this other wing does show up in my life. It just didn't, it wasn't as uh,
1: noticeable. Noticeable, or? that's right,
0: yeah. uh, in my in my work relationships or maybe even my private relationships. But uh, we're going to talk about both wings. Now, the wings can function out of our beloved self or our wounded self. And so there are healthy and unhealthy, aligned, misaligned ways in which these wings can function for us. And so for the uh, type four, there are two wings, the type three uh, and the type five. So the type three part is optimistic, it's accomplished, adaptable and driven to excel in all areas of life. Now, in light of that, we can experience ambivalence with our wings because mm-hmm. at times it there's I that's different than what my core motivations are according to my main type. I'm not sure what I think about this part of me and and why I show up this way in my life. Well, when our three when our when the 3 wing is misaligned and trying to protect your, the wounded child for the type 4, They'll try to earn love and admiration by becoming successful and unique individuals. They'll forego authenticity, to shapeshift into a particular image, to gain praise from others, since envy what they have and feel like they're lacking. They express a surplus of confidence in their unique qualities, work, and accomplishments. Beth, why don't you tell us about the three-wing when it's under the leadership of the beloved child?
1: Yeah, so when the three wing shows up and is being led by the beloved child. It has so many healthy qualities that help the wounded child to actually heal as well. So for the type four, this three wing, you know, it, it comes in with a sense of confidence of who God created the four to be. And they're no longer having to just to strive to earn love and admiration by being unique and creative and doing all these things. They can really be their authentic selves with their emotions. Um, And the really cool thing is the three helps the fours to recover quickly when they have emotional setbacks and they're able to continue to progress through personal development or anything else they're doing because that confidence comes in and they can see with more of an optimistic eye um, and an upbeat attitude to keep going. Um, it also brings this sense of friendliness and connecting with others. And it also helps the four to be hardworking and to accomplish a great deal.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, and either of you can go first here. Uh, how does your three wing show up in your life?
3: So my three wing shows up both positively and negatively for me. You know, Beth and Jeff, as you guys have been describing, it can come in as a superhero. It can come in as a villain. It does both. Um On the positive side of things, I think that the three gives me the confidence to be able to perform. And on the negative side of things, I think the three makes me feel like I have to perform in order to earn something, if that makes any sense. So on the positive side of things, it gives me the confidence to show up and to offer my best, to offer creativity to the world, to write, to present. And to believe that those efforts are going to be enough and they're going to be impactful and it helps me – it gives some courage to my four to like step out from behind the curtain and show up and Mm -hmm. be available to people and believe that that work is going to be worthy. And then on the dark side of that, when the three shows up with pressure to perform and a sense that if I don't perform, I am unworthy – uh, and that shows up more in my relationships, I would say. So the three, the strengths of the three tend to show up in my work. Um, they tend to show up when I'm contributing something, when I'm offering something, when I'm in a leadership role. But the negative side of the three tends to show up in relationships anytime that I'm feeling insecure and start trying to compensate for that sense of insecurity by performing, oh, well, if I just play the role of the beloved girlfriend perfectly, or I play the role of the beloved daughter perfectly. Like if I just show up and I do everything perfectly, then obviously everything's going to be okay. And I start almost working to earn love. So I work from a play I'm working for love instead of working from love. And that's when I know the unhealthy three is present.
0: Man, man, you can turn a phrase. I
3: know. <laughs> <laughs> talk, about, talk about a wordsmith.
1: I'm like,
0: yes. she <laughs> just Dropping these bombs. Mm, I know. Like, Wow, okay. <laughs> Bernay Brown, like what?
1: I'm, I'm like, we need to write this down for the next
0: book. No kidding, man. <laughs> Thank you guys. Man, I've heard someone you know, the the joke about pastors is that uh Mandy always said and then they say, um, I've heard it said and then then they say I've always said so. I'm I'm just gonna start taking these Mandyisms and over the next five years. i'm gonna sound well thank you
2: thank you
1: for that clarity that's (laughs) awesome
0: well what came comes to mind for you jesse when you think about your three wing
4: yeah i have a profoundly high three wing uh and a lot of that comes out of my life story i in a lot of ways there was an especially when i was younger i had to make my way in the world Mm. and that three wing really gave me that ability to envision and enact and bring something into existence um but there there is it there's a dark side i mean many touched on it like over identifying with my accomplishments or with my work or with the projects that i'm you know i i can become my work and in in that regard you know it's an interesting moment to go from this four that's like oh we're so deep you know but then this three that's like when you over identify with your work there's there's a boringness to that there's a there's a shallowness to that there's a um and so um, so it can be tempting to be uh, a little too identified with the, the tasks, projects, and goals uh, that, that the three brings. But that being said, I do love the optimism of the three energy. Mm-hmm. I, I love like where the four tends, we can tend to be like everything's crap, burn it all down, you know, mm-hmm. it's all a waste. The three is like, Hey, look at this possible thing! Like, let let's go build mm-hmm. that. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I I I really enjoy the the energy of like uh, envisioning and like getting a group of people around something, and we're all going to work on this together, and sort of inspiring mm-hmm. people and communicating. Uh, you know, I think that the. The sort of an- the the emotional analytical side of the four matching up with the communicative, you know, uh, let's find creative ways to tell people these stories. Aspect of the three, like uh, it's a, it's a fun marriage. Those two things. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, that's wow. great. Well, let's uh, take a look at uh, the five wing. Um, now, the five wing, as with the three, can work on behalf of the wounded child and seeking to protect it from pain. Uh, or it can work from the beloved self, where it's, there's a sense of calling and giftedness that it brings to uh, the type four. Well, the type five wing uh, is withdrawn, wise, and it's an innovative observer who lives life with curiosity and a craving to learn more. Now, what it fears is that it lacks inner resources and that too much interaction with others will lead to catastrophic depletion. It withdraws from others and tends to seek its own needs. So when this five part of the four is trying to protect your wounded child, what the four may be experiencing, is they may become more independent, uh, setting up boundaries to protect themselves from others being too invasive in their life. They may uh, need to first sort out their own feelings by using their intellect before moving towards others or engaging with life. They may believe that their thoughts and emotions are truth, causing them to react and respond to life and people from a false reality. Beth, why don't you talk about what the five wing looks like when it's under the leadership of the beloved child?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, when the the beloved child is leading this part of uh, the type four, some really amazing things happen. So first, from this place of rest, they can combine their intellectual insights with their emotional intuition that produce stunning original works. And they're going to be generously give to others these insights and information that they've gathered over time to bless others. And they're going to connect with others both on that intellect level and the emotional level, which really is is truly phenomenal. So it's kind of like, you know, Mandy, um, we'll kind of start with you. But I, I can almost envision you with those books and reading and absorbing um, all that information and what you do now as a writer. You know, so you're bringing the depth of emotion, the depth of insight, but also the depth of uh, data, information, research. So, tell us how this five part has showed up in your life, both misaligned and aligned.
2: Mm.
3: I, you've hit the nail on the head there, Beth. Where I feel like my five, when my five comes to play at work that's one of my favorite friends. <laughs> I feel like oh. that's, I'm about to enter a really sweet spot and produce some really great work that has a great balance of heart and thought behind it. And so, especially I will say one of the most challenging kind of writing that I do is writing pitches. When you're writing to sell something and You guys know as product creators, sometimes you create these products that you're so proud of that you know are going to have a transformative impact in the world. They're going to make a difference in people's lives. People really need this stuff, but it can be difficult to advocate for your own work to the people who need it most without feeling skeevy. And I feel like When my five comes out to play, that's when I'm able to create especially presentations and sales presentations that strike that right balance between being logical, being fact-based, and really just getting in there, having the research to back it up, why this is going to make a change for you, create a logical argument, and then simultaneously have some real true human heart and spark behind it and be able to also say, here's what this is going to feel like for you. Here's why this matters. you know. And so my five yeah. comes in and says, here's how it's going to help. My four comes in and says, here's why it's going to make a difference in your life. And yeah. between the two of those things, you get a balanced message that feels true, that feels like you're not just manipulating my emotions and you're not just throwing wooden statistics at me, but you've got both of these powers playing together. And so I absolutely love getting to work with my five.
4: M- Mandy, so much of what you're saying, uh, resonates. I, I think about it like this. This is a good example. Um, about a year and a half ago, um, my wife and I were working through some, some stuff in our marriage and, you know, I think every marriage is sort of like you make some progress in some areas. You sort of enjoy a, a season of healing. Everything's good. And then you're like, Oh, time to work on the next thing. And it was just a really, we were working through some really difficult things. And, um, and I found my four latching on to the five where it was like, if I could just get to the bottom of this, just get to the bottom of this. And it was like reading every book on that topic. I mean, it was like, somebody would bring up, you know, this may be what's going on. And I'd buy like a bunch of books on the topic and then I was devouring them. And then I would get these answers and immediately go on to the next book looking for the next set of answers. And I just sort of felt this compulsion to know it all, to just have this this holistic perspective at a really deep level that's refused to take shallow answers. Um, and I remember a friend of mine finally just kind of said like, hey, uh, you know, you, you don't have to have the answers to everything. Like sometimes you just need to sit with Jesus and that's enough. Like he will take care of things. And I was like, oh, yeah, that seems true. And so yeah, but uh, I'm going
0: to go order some more Amazon books.
1: Right. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm, right. I'm sitting here laughing and smirking, being probably on. I don't know what your wife's type is or what her role is, but I'm just thinking. Yeah, she's
4: a six. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, that doesn't help my situation because, <laughs> like,
0: help my
4: situation.
0: situation is what she's saying.
1: Because as hey, you're talking about that, I'm like. Oh my gosh, that's how Bob shows up because mm-hmm. Jeff really wants to get to the bottom of the situation and connect right now and like, let's like, let's not do this thing as in like, let's have a conflict, but like, let's figure this out. So we have connection, yeah. which in a sense is beautiful. But this nine space is like, why is this a big deal? Mm-hmm. I don't know what we're talking about. I don't know how to explain my side of it because I don't know what we're talking about.
0: I am not Mm going to read all those books. And
1: yeah. And then he's like reading all the books and I'm like, I don't want to know all the things, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and not that I do want our relationship to, to be beautiful and connecting and all that stuff. But I, but I love hearing you guys talk because it helps me. And I'm sure others that are listening that don't have as strong of a five part to kind of go, Oh, okay. This makes sense. Like you really want to, to dive into that information to make things better. So sometimes it doesn't work.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Cuz it's too yeah, much information. It's, a, it's overwhelming. Yeah, sometimes it's 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 too much. It's like um it it can become obsessive in a way that's not it's no longer giving life. It becomes almost a, it becomes an excuse to not take action. So if I am like, well, I'll take action once I have all the information. Well, then the information just becomes this excuse for me to just delay actually stepping in and out into these relationships and trusting other people with, you know, what's going on inside of me. So that's like the dark side of the five and the four working together. But the, the upside is, you know, I, I just finished writing a book and Um, and it's, man, it's wonderful. Like sitting down and going like the brilliance of life, like the complexity of life and the brilliance of people's minds and the work they've done and the wisdom that God has given to people, like, and to sit in that, like, it's, it's, uh, it's a great experience. Uh, and, and so that, that deep curiosity of the five, uh, is, is really life-giving, uh, when it's healthy.
0: Mm -hmm. That's so so grateful. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah. And even though you're starting to get into my kitchen and uh, name <laughs> our kitchen, the, the three thousand <laughs> volumes that are in my library. Yes, uh, that's great to know. Yes. It, it Wasn't working. I'll keep trying. <laughs> that's what Amazon's there for. Right? <laughs> to, uh, to bankrupt us
4: <laughs> with all of our book purchases.
0: Oh man! I mean, it was a. It wasn't a measure of my wisdom. It was a measure of my fear. Mm. Uh, is what I've come to recognize.
4: Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships.
0: All righty. Well, we're moving on. This is not counseling time for Jeff. Yeah. And uh,
1: well, <laughs> and we're going to kind of go through these next two parts, hopefully a little bit more quickly so that... You hopefully. Know, we can, yeah. We'll see what We'll happens. see. We got some great information here, though. Um, so we're going to jump into Enneagram Paths, which the first one we're going to dive into is the Enneagram Path to uh, Type 2, and then we'll jump into Type 1. So if you're wondering, like, how do I find my Enneagram Paths, basically look at your main type and those lines that connect with uh, two other types. Those are your Enneagram Path types. And they're a lot like the wings in the sense that you can access them both in healthy and unhealthy ways, depending on whether you're operating out of that wounded or beloved child part. So let's just kind of take a look real briefly at how the type two part of your heart shows up for the type fours. Now, the type two part is highly relational, they're friendly, it's cheerful, it's energetic, talkative, and engaging. And it supports the type fours main part by uh, pulling from those inner emotions and then connecting it with others with this compassion and generous support. But when this part, this two part is misaligned and following the lead of the wounded child, a few things can happen, such as like discussing the current condition of the relationship over and over and how special and unique your relationship is to them and how they need you. Um, Also, this two part can kind of create um, dependencies and manipulate um, others in seeking help from you. And that help can be lots of different ways. It can be unique to the type four space um, and also gaining a certain amount of attention and gaining favors from others. But also this two part can become um, very much of a flatterer, trying to uh, flatter people, to co- to connect, to make them um, be a part of your group so that you won't feel rejected or left out. Uh, Jeff, why don't you share a little bit about the beloved part of the type two?
0: Sure. Uh, This beloved, whenever it's leading this uh, type two part, they recognize the full value in Christ and feel his unconditional love, which enables the four to put the needs of others ahead of their own with no strings attached. It's able to acknowledge the positive qualities in others and generously affirm, encourage, and support them. It instinctively knows how to make others feel special, seen, cared for, supported by, extending emotional friendship, compassion, and support. So, when you think about your two path as a four, how does it show up for each of you?
4: Yeah, I think uh, for me, uh, on the unhealthy side, uh, to say it this way, my my hands are in too many cookie jars. It's like I'm I'm like I'm I'm a busybody. I'm like Im- like I'm involved in too many things and scenarios, and especially because I've got that that for ability to really read where people are emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I begin to read too many layers in too many people and get involved in too many ways and offer offering my opinion and my support, but like in a way that it does at some level feel like there are strings attached because at some point it's, it's about my need to feel significant, not about what they truly need as a person. Um, when, uh, but when it's healthy um, yeah, you know, it shows up, it shows up different. It's, I just, I love folks. I, I can tell what's going on with them emotionally. I feel attuned to them. Um, and instead of just sort of reading them, I, I, I legit, I I feel empathetic in a, in an appropriate way and then want to take action on that empathy. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, those are, those are kind of the two ways it shows up for me. And hey, Mandy?
3: Very, very similar, Jesse. Um, very similar ways for me. Where um, you know, when the two's showing up in a healthy way, it's it's that empathy with no strings attached and with no centering of my experiences, because I feel like there can be some unhealthy empathy that comes up when the two's operating in an unhealthy way in me, where I'm empathizing with what you're feeling and at the same time I'm interjecting my own experiences and stories and how they mirror yours because what I'm trying to do at the same time that I'm trying to make you feel better, I'm trying to connect. I'm trying mm-hmm. to deepen our relationship. I'm trying to show up. And and so that's when the empathy is working improperly with me. But when when the two's present in a healthy way, I am able to be immensely empathetic and have a huge capacity for other people's, especially when they're walking through grief or they're walking through some kind of pain, just have a huge capacity and stamina for navigating those hard things with people in a very vulnerable way because... Sadness doesn't really scare me in a way that it scares other people. It doesn't wear me out the way that it wears other people out. And so that healthy too is like, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm gonna walk with you. Also, can I make you a plate? <laughs> can I, do you need a shower? How can I help you? How can I serve you? And so it shows up in this really strong way. But then the shadow side of that is, I always notice when I'm drifting into an unhealthy place of two, when I feel like I have to help in order to be connected. Like, if I'm not helping enough, I'm going to lose a relationship in some way, or I'm going to be unworthy of it in some way. And I especially notice the unhealthy two showing up when I start breaking boundaries. Um, And so I read something this year. I don't remember who wrote it. I think it might have been another Brene Brown. Um, But she basically said that boundaries are the distance where I can be kind to you and kind to me at the same time. And like that is the spot where I can show immense kindness to you but also immense kindness to me and those things can coexist. And when I start realizing that I am showing up for other people to the detriment of myself and I'm not protecting space for myself to have my own peace or have a workout or meditate or any of the things that I need to do to take care of me, I've realized that there might be some trading going on in that. There Mm -hmm. might be some bartering in that instead of just genuine support.
4: I think like I I connect that too. It's you know, especially when you talked about the centering of the self, like there's a, you know, this is, it's hard to admit this, but like there's a narcissistic tendency within the four to sort of our emotions are kind of the big thing going on and this is what we should all be paying attention to. And so even as we come into these, you know, as I come into these relationships, it can be really tempting to bring that, you know, to bring that still, like, it's still about me at some level. Um, But the, the, the healthy side of the two is, um, a healthy self forgetfulness, like a healthy, like, I don't need, my emotions don't need to be the center of everything happening right now. Um, your needs come first. Um, and I want to do what's best for you. And, and it's, it's really an invitation to see a broader perspective, you know, instead of being sort of entranced by my emotions.
0: Well, the next uh, path that we want to talk about is the path to type one. Um, And this is for all fours. They all have a one part of their hearts. And that part of them um, wants to be sensible, ethical, responsible, serious, and self-disciplined. It feels personally obligated to improve who you are and how you engage in the world. Uh, It supports your main type by giving you self-discipline and balanced emotions. When your one part is misaligned, though, in trying to protect your wounded child, uh, what fours may experience is focusing on flaws, becoming more judgmental and critical of others and their world, um, be vocal about their frustrations, disappointments, and uh, visibly displaying disappointment, uh, both in the words as well as their body language. They become uh, impatient, picky, controlling when others feel... when. You feel others are incorrect, irresponsible, or not being their authentic selves. Beth, why don't you talk about the beloved child?
1: Yeah. So they can be more emotionally balanced, objective, and grounded in their relationships. They're going to be able to embrace those mundane tasks that really plight the fore um, as, and they see them as opportunities to be good stewards of themselves and what they're doing. So they're going to be more responsible, disciplined, and organized. And they're going to recognize that their feelings aren't always the reality. And they're going to be able to focus a little bit more on, you know, how, I'm, what am I thinking versus what am I feeling? And like you were saying, Mandy, um, being able to, to validate the emotions, but pulling back enough to see is, are those um emotions true and real. And so bringing a little bit more of that logic and and principle discipline into that equation. So for you guys, uh, how do how does your one part show up in the misaligned, wounded child way and also the aligned way?
3: It's I have an interesting relationship with the one because I feel like at least in my life, the um, the positive and the negative here are pretty extreme in the ways that it shows Mm -hmm. up, it can be super, super beneficial and also super harmful. And the only way I really know how to express this is to kind of characterize it. (laughs) So um, like the healthy one for me is like a loving parent, right? It's like a really good leader that's able to acknowledge all of the things that I'm feeling, all of the life experiences that i'm sifting through trying to find the meaning trying to find the purpose behind what's going on and it's able to say yes that is valid and also we are going to brush and floss and we are going to work out today and we are going to wash the dishes and we're gonna show up on time for this meeting to talk about the creative project that we are doing to verbalize that meaning that we are experiencing. It and it is. you know, it kind of like brushes my hair out of my face and it's like, good job, that's wonderful. Now go to work. (laughs) And it shows up as this loving parent that is able to hold in a really healthy balance, a really healthy, beautiful tension. I want you to live a rich, beautiful life. I want you to be emotionally satisfied. I want you to be creative. I want you to be abundant. I want you to feel your feelings and be able to express them in a healthy way. And also, I want you to show up and be a model citizen. Can you show up and be a model citizen (laughs) for me? And so um, that one is such a healthy force because it helps me bring order to my thoughts. It helps me bring discipline to the work of externalizing all of that and making things. And so we make speeches and we make blog posts and we make podcast episodes and we do all of that with that governance of the one who's showing up and saying, we are going to be disciplined and also we're going to be excellent and we're going to do our very best work. And so when that influence is positive, it's so loving and it adds so much virtue and it feels like it speaks to the highest qualities of the fours and lets me – it, it turns all of that internal stuff in the cavern into a contribution. The one Mm -hmm. makes me a contributor. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's so positive. And then on the other side, it can get so dark so quickly because when my one is in an unhealthy space, it almost turns into an internal bully. And Mm -hmm. so when I don't have control of the emotions and when I am being, Um, overtaken by one of these huge waves that's crashing around inside, it can pick on me for it. Um, And I remember expressing to Chris, who is my boss and is just a wonderful human, at one point we were talking about the self-critical aspects of the creative process. And I remember telling her at one point, um, Mandy's not mean to anybody but Mandy. (laughs) (laughs) And I have come to recognize that there can be this very, very ugly, very critical voice that can pop up between my head that is um, bullying in a way that I would literally never speak or even think about another human being. But somehow, because that acid is directed at myself, my system can tolerate it for a while. And it can take me a while to catch on and notice the fact that my thought pattern has become incredibly self-critical and incredibly unkind and caustic. And it can take me a while to catch it. And when I realize that I've kind of drifted into that unhealthy side of the one where I am um, super self-critical, It's just become a discipline for me that I have to externalize things imperfectly. And so like I have to Mm. get into the habit of saying, you know what, I don't have the right words to say this. So I'm just going to say it straight. I'm going to say it raw. It's not going to sound pretty, but I'm just going to say exactly what's going on and I need some support. and You know, that has turned out to be really the only thing that can sometimes break that bullying loop is when I will raise the flag and say, I don't know why, but I'm stuck on this really unhealthy thought. I don't think it's true. I don't think it's true, but it feels really true right now. So, can I just tell you the ugly thing? And usually, just hearing the thing verbalized out loud is enough to snap me out of the trance. But there is this unhealthy, self critical trance that can happen.
1: Wow. So I can't wait to hear, Jesse what you're going to say, but I just want to, as the one being in my wing um, path, um, when she's doing awesome and she's really healthy, we call her virtuous Victoria. But when she is misaligned, she is vicious Victoria, (sighs) and she is brutal. I mean, it literally feels like she has a bat with her criticisms, and I mean, it is just unrelenting. And like you said, I would never treat anyone else that way. And, but it feels so true and it feels like everyone else sees it's true. And it's like, I can't get out of that space for some time. And then the bruises, you know, the, the beating up, it takes time to heal from it. You know, it's not like I can just all of a sudden miraculously, like, like oh, I'm fine. Like, like let me let, let me interact with everyone. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be slower at interacting, slower at becoming vulnerable, slower at being with people again. Um, and so as you were saying that, I'm like, yes, like that's it. Now, you know, I have probably on a day to day basis a stronger eight wing, but when when she shows up in not healthy ways, now healthy ways are amazing. Um, it is it is detrimental. Jesse, what about you? How do you experience the one?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mandy, I resonated with so much what you said. Uh, you know, I the word bully, for sure. There's a sense of self bullying. My wife tells me all the time, you are so hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so like, I do I fill up with like, all these oughts and shoulds. We say I should all over
0: myself. I don't know, can we say that on your podcast? Mm-hmm. Uh, you and um, I said it and, before, and Beth got uh, was shocked by my statement when we were interviewing. I know, twos, I was like, but, wait, what? That's right. But it's an, <laughs> it's an appropriate phrase. Yeah, yeah. And so,
4: um, but I do, I become very, very self-critical, and then I can only take that for so long, and then my criticism actually pours out of me. So unlike Mandy, who has the self-control to not say it to other people, I do not always have that self control. It's like I, uh, I just have this tendency. Yeah, like my my wife and my kids will even notice. They're like, "Oh, he's in that mood." Like I'm going around the house and I'm straightening everything up because I'm you know hacked off about this or that. Like because I I'm um, I just I want things to be a certain way, and I will not take no for an answer. It's like all all patience and grace is out the window. Um, on the other side, though. When uh, when I'm in a healthy space, um, I don't remember who said it. I remember reading a quote a few years back where someone said, um, uh, oftentimes the greatest evangelists are not pastors because pastors, their cultural influence rises and falls, but the greatest evangelists are artists and activists. And I feel like that in so many ways, when the four has this great relationship with the one, that, that that's the space we're embodying where... Um, where we are not only sort of idealistic in terms of we've got these dreams, these visions of the future, but then this one comes and goes, well, let's make it happen. Like, Mm -hmm. let's go out and bring these things into the world. And so, in a lot of ways, you know, my work with love that neighborhood is my attempt to sort of try to live in my one space. Like, like let's, Mm -hmm. let's bring goodness into the world. Like let's, let's tell people about Jesus. Let's show the love of Jesus. Let's be, practical and measurable and, you know, and, and acting these good things. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so, it, you know, it, but it does, it moves, you know, to it, it just moves us past this, like um, perpetual sort of narcissistic dream state and into there's a world that needs us to show up and we got to take action to do that. That's
0: amazing. So we're going to transition a little bit to talk about self leadership. But I'm I'm curious to see what what metaphor comes to mind for you when you think now you, there's all six of these parts active inside of you, and then there's even an advanced understanding of this to understand that we have types in uh, each of the triads, and so. But I, I'm curious, when you think about self-leadership, what, what image or metaphor comes to mind? I often think of uh, it as a, as a family, and I'm the, and, you know, the beloved child's the father. You know, sometimes I, I even use uh, athletic metaphors, like uh, who's quarterbacking? Uh, because everybody's going off the cadence and energy and creativity and direction of the quarterback. When you think about leading your parts, what metaphor comes to mind? For me, it's
4: very much a picture. It's it's a father son dynamic. Uh, It's a sense in which um, it's a sense in you know going back to I used this word earlier, but going back to this notion of delight. Like I need I need a, a a father that delights in me, who's very present and very attuned to me, and understands my needs, and can handle when I spin out and go off in these ridiculous directions and behave in ridiculous ways and have ridiculous thoughts. I need a, I need a father that can hold all of that. Yeah. And who then lovingly and tenderly leads me back. um, And, uh, and that I trust enough, you know, that um, he's earned my trust. I trust him and I'm going to, going to walk with him. And so I, for, for me very much father, son imagery is, is, is what comes to mind.
0: Mandy, what comes to mind for
4: you?
3: This is such a fun question. I feel like putting images, like putting pictures on top of these ideas makes them so much more concrete. And I mean, I will say the thing that comes up for me is, have you ever seen movies where a person gets cloned and there's just Mm -hmm. some little tell, right? Like they're each wearing a different color shirt or they each have slightly different hair, a different facial expression that differentiates them, but it's all the same person I feel like when I visualize these different wings and these different parts of my complete profile, that's the visual that I get is um, Mm -hmm. it's just all of these different versions of myself and they are all in conversation with each other. And sometimes they are an amazing team and everyone is thriving together. And it's this collection of five different superpowers that are all helping each other rise. And then sometimes they're all negative, And more often than not, it's a mixed bag where it's a mixture of the two. And some people are <laughs> sure. in a healthy stance and some people are not. And um, they're working cooperatively. But it, at the end of the day, it feels like they're all variations of myself. Like they're all parts of mm-hmm. me that interact together to produce my whole experience of life and to produce my whole contribution to the world.
0: Mm. You know, it, it's interesting. There have been two commercials that have come out. I was just um, thinking that. And one of them was a Zillow commercial. I can't remember. Susan. Susan. It was the many Susans thinking about buying a house. You'll have to go look it up.
1: Yeah. They were, if you go YouTube's Susan and Zillow, you know, they're all at this big conference table. They're
0: at a boardroom. And she's like, okay, we need to buy a home. And And they're all Susans. And she starts referring to different Susans, different parts of her. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Super funny, and like there's distracted actually an, Susan. there's an Oldsmobile one um, about parallel parking in a Oldsmobile oh, enclave yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that, and two parts of her in the back seat criticizing her or sassing her. Another <laughs> one's worried about parallel parking, and she's like, "No, my enclave can parallel park itself," and uh, <laughs> she's operating from assurance. But I, I love that image though. Like it's you're looking at yourself, but there's something different about each of them that are. Uh, that make them unique.
1: But the most important part of it is recognizing who's the lead, you know, like, is it our wounded child that is trying to protect ourselves? Good intent. So we want to recognize the good intent, but it's not doing a good job. It's ill-equipped. It's, it's creating more problems than it is actually helping. So then how do we bring that beloved child back into the leadership role so that it can um, remind us that we are safe, secure, assured, and um, you know, beloved and and that we belong. And so once we're in that space, all the other parts can follow in that leadership role. And like you said, bring all of their superpowers um, to the forefront to bless um, ourselves, but also everyone else.
0: Well, Jesse, Mandy, thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been immensely insightful and in understanding fours, understanding yous, getting to know, uh, understanding yous. Like, <laughs> That was an awesome use of the word. <laughs> I just created that myself. You, you can use that, uh, Mandy, if you want to. Thank you. Um,
1: <laughs> <Word-smipping right there. laughs> Wordsmithing nightmare. Wordsmithing.
4: Hey,
0: hey. Th- thanks, guys. <laughs> use guys. Use guys.
1: <laughs> I love
0: it. Oh man. Well, thank you so much for joining us and uh, sharing what's going on in your internal world.
4: If you benefited at all. From this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show.